Friends, my name is Lauren. If I haven't met you yet, I'm part of the team that, um, yeah, just loves New Life Brisbane and loves this city. And it's my second time having the honor of um, sharing a message with you. And as soon as I got off the platform last time, I kicked myself because I missed a moment to do something really important, and that's to honor my Sarah. And um, I thought of that because you guys were so kind to me in the way that you were encouraging and um, just listened and lent in in the way that I talked, but we get incredible world-class teaching every single week that we're here, and it's really easy to grow accustomed to that. Um, so yeah, I just want to honor you guys for all that you invest in us, and um, yeah, we're just sitting with you as you move, and things change, but yes, so we love you guys. It's good. We're good. Um, will you join me in prayer before we get started tonight? Father God, I thank you so much for the privilege that it is to come and gather in this space this afternoon. After 2020 and things changing constantly and the last couple of weeks where we've had to pivot and readapt and do church differently, I thank you for the reminder over and over again that church is not four walls, but it's a people. A people with a mission who have been called by God who wants to see more people brought into that family. And so um, we thank you that this is who you've chosen and brought together tonight. So um, would you help us have ears that are ready to listen, hearts that are soft and receptive to what the Holy Spirit might want to say? And would you also give us the conviction to not walk out of this building the same way that we came in? That this wouldn't just be another thing that we hear and we say, oh, that was nice, and then we carry on our lives. Because God, I believe that your word never returns empty that every single time your word goes out, it produces something in us. And so I just ask God that you would um, give us hearts that are willing and humble to do that tonight. Would people remember what you have to say to them tonight, not my words, less of me, more of you, God. Um, We pray all of this in your name, Father. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I think this is week four of our series called Rhythms, working our way through John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Drew has a copy. It looks like that um, somewhere. It's red. It's pretty. It's really aesthetic. There's a less than aesthetic version. Don't buy that one. Yeah, it's blue and white. It's, It's just not the same. Anyway, week four, and I I get to talk to you guys about Sabbath. Um, Sabbath seems a little not that exciting, but I promise you there is so much beauty and so much gift in what we have to explore tonight. (laughs) It's good. So will you come with me on a little adventure back to little Adelaide? Has anyone been to Adelaide? Great place, beautiful beaches, really important thing. Brisbane has no beach, just putting that out there. Nope, doesn't count. (laughs) So come to me, come with me to Adelaide. It is mid-August 2018. I I used to live there. That's important. Um, Mid-August 2018, I'm sitting at my favorite cafe by the beach near where I lived at that point, and I am cry-reading my way through a book called Don't Waste Your Life. Cry-reading is exactly as you think it sounds, crying while trying to read, mostly crying, not doing much reading. I, at that point, was just over two years into my dream vocation that I never thought that I wanted. I was pastoring a local church community and I loved it, in my sweet spot, completely. When I was younger, I was that restless kid throughout all primary school that would try absolutely everything, would sign up to everything, and could never figure out what the one thing was that I wanted to do with my life. And that wasn't helped by the way that on every report card, my teachers would be like, Lauren could do anything with her life. It's like, cool. That's so, so vague and unhelpful. 
particularly as I grew up and began trying to navigate sorting through all of the things and university applications and all of that. It was really unhelpful trying to pick one thing. But let me tell you two things that I was never going to do. Ministry and to be a missionary. What are the two things that I want to do with my life the most now? (laughs) Ministry and to be a missionary. That's a different story. But here I was in this cafe now about 10 or 15 years later, feeling like for the first time in my life, I had found a space where I was able to do a little bit of everything. I was able to do a bit of preaching, a bit of worship leading, a bit of creativity, a bit of coffee making, a bit of hospitality, a bit of small groups, a bit of hanging out with my friends. And I got to do that all while mentoring and encouraging and releasing some of my favorite people in the whole entire world to go and be better at each individual thing than I ever was going to be at those. So dream job, getting to marry my gifts with a God-honoring purpose. I had a beautiful community I loved living by the beach. My dog and I would go there every day. Yet here I was crying my way through a book titled Don't Waste Your Life. What's up with that? Well, Let me read to you what I had just read. It'll be on the screen as well. But if the discontent with your present situation is deep, recurrent, and lasting, and if that discontent grows in Bible-saturated soil, then God may be calling you to a new work. If in your discontent you long to be holy, to walk pleasing to the Lord, and to magnify Christ with your one brief life, then God may be indeed loosening your roots in order to transplant you into a place and a ministry where the deep spiritual ambitions of your soul can be satisfied. So despite absolutely loving my life and my community, if I was being completely honest, and I suppose the tears gave it away anyway, I actually wanted something more. There was this deep desire in my heart, a discontent about how things were a real restlessness that I had no idea how to settle. John Mark Comer, in this book that we've been looking at, would articulate it like this. He'd say, desire is something that's infinite, but we as humans are finite. And so this gap in the middle between infinite and finite creates restlessness. And so in that moment, I knew I had to change something. No idea what, but I had to change something about my life because I wanted to be satisfied. I remember texting my mentor, Danica, who turns out to be Michael's oldest sister. What a small world. But I texted my mentor with this quote and just said, I'm a little terrified of what God is growing in me. Will you please pray with me as I ask him what this might look like? And that day, God used restlessness as an invitation. He used it to help me reassess or begin to reassess the direction and the speed that my life was traveling. And if I accepted, he was going to use it as an invitation to let him begin to be the one who satisfied my soul. The one who showed me how to live a life marked by restfulness rather than restlessness. He used restlessness as an invitation to begin to teach me how to Sabbath. Now, before we keep talking about this word Sabbath and about God being the one who fulfills this restlessness in us, I know that not all of us here would say that they know or follow Jesus. And that is a really cool, really beautiful thing. I'm so glad you're here. We are so excited and glad that you're here. Because whether you know, follow, or love Jesus, or whether you don't yet, part of the universal human condition is that every single one of you, I bet, 
knows what it is to feel restless. I would assume that everyone knows what it's like to feel discontent. All of us know that feeling that no matter how well everything seems to be going, we share this longing and this desire for something more. We know what it's like to buy more stuff, to achieve that promotion or that target at work, to have perfect grass, which, by the way, if you haven't met James Cassini yet, he has meticulous grass. It's beautiful, but we'll carry on. We know what it's like to buy a house, to have kids, to get married, to have your dream boyfriend or girlfriend or partner. We know what it's like to make friends with your friend crush. That's for you, Ella. (laughs) We know what it's like to achieve all of these things but to still have a longing in us that's unsatisfied. We all know what it's like to be restless, but not exactly sure how to fix it, or if we will ever be able to at all. And so what I hope you realize by now, you've already walked into a church building, so that may have given it away, is that what I'm gonna offer us tonight is what the Christian perspective on restlessness and rest is the Christian perspective on restlessness and how we might overcome it. So the writer of the biblical book Ecclesiastes would say this. He'd say, he, God, has put eternity into man's heart. Remember what we read before, infinite desires plus a finite us equals restlessness. And then the great Saint Augustine, beautiful thinker and writer from a long time ago, he'd capture it like this. You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Sit with that for a minute. And if this statement is true, if this concept is true, which I believe it is, we need to come to realize that the only cure for restlessness is to put all of our other desires, all of these beautiful good gifts They're not inherently bad in and of themselves. These beautiful gifts, all these other desires, to put them in their proper place, which is underneath our desire for God. The only cure for restlessness is to take all of our other dreams and desires and ambitions and things that we want to check off about our lives and put them underneath our desire for God. Dallas Willard, a really, really great thinker on spiritual disciplines and practices that we've been um, exploring, he'd summarize it like this. Desire is infinite, partly because we were made by God, made for God, made to need God, and made to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the one who is infinite, eternal, and able to supply all our needs. We are only at home in God. When we fall away from God, or when we don't know him yet, the desire for the infinite remains in us, but it's displaced upon things that will certainly lead us to destruction. And so what we can glean from that is that disordered desires lead to destruction. I'm not gonna go into that too much, but I, I can suggest that all of us would have different ways where we realize in our own lives, our disordered desires have caused destruction. Whether that's personally to ourselves, maybe not taking care of our bodies well and we fatigue or we burn out or we experience exhaustion. Maybe it's mental, could be spiritual, could be emotional. And sometimes the most prevalent way we see this destruction is through our relationships with other people. We can be bulldozers, And we can really hurt people in that process because we have things disordered about how we're living our lives. 
So what's the circuit breaker here? What's the next invitation? I think it's learning to reorder our desires, to reorder our loves, to get a fresh perspective on the things that get our time and our attention and our affection. Learning to reorder our desires by learning to desire more of God, by letting him teach us to practice something that we call Sabbath. Sabbath, weird word, comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, Shabbat, if you're from Brisbane. Shabbat, there you go, plant, Shabbat, which means to stop. The Sabbath is a day to stop, to stop working, to stop wanting, to stop worrying, to stop hurrying, to stop doing, to rest and just to be. This beautiful invitation that we have heard from Jesus, almost every week of our series comes from um, the gospel author Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. I'm going to read it to you in the message version. Hear this as an invitation to you tonight. Hear this as questions to you. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Come learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Come keep company with me and you will learn how to live freely and lightly. That is our invitation to Sabbath rest. Now, you could probably preach an entire sermon series on Sabbath and the Jews and a commandment and what that meant, how Jesus spoke about it when he was here on earth and what that means for us today. But we do not have that much time. So let me summarize it for us like this. Um, Paul Jones is a really great person who has lots of Old Testament knowledge. If you ever see him around, ask him questions about this stuff. I don't know that he is currently here. Anyway, talk to Katie. She's also awesome. So, summarize it. The Sabbath for God's Old Testament people, who were called the Jews, the Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were ten laws that were given to the people that helped them govern how they were to relate to God and how they were to relate to each other, their whole community. So each of these ten laws came with corresponding consequences, which would help them realize that in and of themselves, in their own strength, in their own ability, they would never actually be able to follow these laws because as imperfect people, they were in need of a perfect God's grace and mercy. So these commandments seems kind of silly in some way, but it's not. The commandments were in place to point to something greater, to point to someone greater. We find the, the whole list of the account in Exodus 20 or in Deuteronomy, but let's read from Exodus. If you have your Bible, you're very welcome to... Um, Whip that out. Exodus chapter 20. From verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, 
Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. God rested. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. So friends, we have one day out of a total of seven set aside for the people to do nothing but to rest and to worship. One day, one commandment as part of 10 commandments that pointed to someone greater that would reveal God's perfect mercy and grace. Lucky for us, we live on this side of Jesus. So enter in Jesus to the Old Testament story. God became man who entered into human history who through his life, his death, and his resurrection, by coming and living the life that you and I couldn't, the perfect life that humanity was unable to do, by coming and paying the price for our sin, which is a a word for our messiness or our imperfection, our mistakes, by coming and paying that price by dying the death that you and I deserved. Jesus perfectly fulfilled this Old Testament law. He fulfilled every single one of these commandments perfectly. And in doing so, he reconciled us to God. Perfect God, perfect Jesus. We're back into relationship with that. And we get to receive that as a free gift by grace through faith in Jesus. So then this weird word, Sabbath. What was once an Old Testament commandment, is fulfilled by Jesus. And so now our Sabbath rest is not held to a day. It's not one day out of seven. It's not a specific time. It's not Saturday like the Jews, although you can if you want to. Our Sabbath rest is now found in Jesus himself. What was once an Old Testament law becomes a New Testament principle. Just like fasting and like silence and solitude and all of these other things that we've been looking at principles designed just like the rest of them, not to check a box, not to keep a commandment, not to try and be perfect, but given to us as a gift to get more of God himself. Now, two quick notes on what Sabbath is and isn't. And if you get a copy of John McComas' book, you'll be able to read all of this in much more detail than I'm able to cover. But two things that are really helpful that he says that Sabbath is, and kind of with that comes what Sabbath isn't. The first is that Sabbath is a day for rest and for worship. There's a big difference between a Sabbath and a day off. Sabbath is not a day off. A day off is not a Sabbath. Sabbath is not a day to do chores or groceries or to binge watch your latest Netflix obsession, although those are all really good, helpful, fine things. Good to have groceries. Yes, clean houses. Clean houses are important. (laughs) But it's not that. Sabbath is not that. Sometimes it's an extended period of time, which we call a sabbatical. Maybe um, professors or uni people would know that really well. Sabbatical. But more regularly, what Sabbath is, is a 24-hour period to stop. To do absolutely nothing outside of rest and worship. And I know that sometimes when we hear the word worship, we just think of singing and what these guys are doing up here. And that's awesome. If that's part of your Sabbath, beautiful. But worship is anything that brings glory to God. The Apostle Paul would say, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. So it's not just singing, 
but it could be things like sharing a meal with your family, inviting some friends over with a bottle of wine and having a slow dinner where you just ask each other questions. It could be taking a long walk in creation and leaving your phone in the car. It could just be hanging out with your family, playing board games, doing something slow. But it's very different from just a day off. And the second thing that John Mark Comer highlights is that Sabbath is resistance. Sabbath is resistance because it teaches us this posture of saying, I have enough. I have enough. What I really need is not more stuff, but time to enjoy all that I already have and to enjoy it with God. There's a really cool quote. Um, we might post it somewhere else later in the week, but um, it basically just says, stick it to the man. Don't buy, don't sell, don't shop, don't surf the web. Just slow down long enough to enjoy life with God who offers everything that materialism promises but can't deliver, namely contentment. And friends, the secret of being content is to see Jesus as most beautiful. To see Jesus as most beautiful and let his beauty pale everything else about your life in comparison. So back to my day at the beach, August 2018. Over the coming months, as I prayed and I discerned and as I searched scripture and sought counsel about what I was to do about this restlessness, about this uprooting that I felt beginning in my life, Psalm 27 verse 4 really gripped my heart. David says, one thing that I asked from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That was it. That was the restlessness that I had in my heart. I wanted Jesus to be my one thing, and I wanted to do whatever it took, whatever was needed for this verse to be true of my life. And so, I planned a two-month sabbatical. I got there because I hadn't had any time off in three years, so I could take two months off. Reason for needing a Sabbath. <laughs> so, I planned to drive from Adelaide to Queensland. Again, another silly story. I am very not conditioned to go slow, just like probably most of us. Within the first four hours of leaving Adelaide, I actually got a speeding fine. That was definitely God laughing at me and saying, it's time to actually practice all these things that you're saying are really important, not just think them. Anyway, drove to Queensland. I would spend two months living on the Gold Coast with some pastors of a church that I'd never been to, pastors that I'd never met. They'd never met me. <laughs> I knew no one. I had no plans. And I had no intention of making plans other than to sit on the beach, to climb mountains, to read, to rest, and to pursue Jesus. And then I'd return to Adelaide with all of my new rhythms, all of my new practices, and keep pastoring the community and doing the job that I loved. And through a ridiculous series of words and events and people, and a very, very, very reluctant visit to New Life Brisbane, my two-month sabbatical became the beginning of a complete change of my life. And can I be honest with you guys, it was really hard. It cost me pretty much everything that I thought was going to be happening and going and moving about my life. It cost me really deeply. But 
when Jesus is your goal, you actually don't have to hold all the other things so tightly. When Jesus is your goal, you can stop and you can put things down and you can rest. When your goal is Jesus, you can actually trust that he cares far more deeply about the things that you're really stressed about than you do. The people that you really care about, the work that you care about, the house that you're trying to renovate or build or grass, you're trying to cut friends, you're trying to make all of those things. He actually is more invested in every single one of those things than you are. And when your goal is Jesus, you can stop striving, achieving, and just consuming more because you can learn to be content. I don't remember where I first heard this saying, but I've always loved the phrase that saying no to good things means saying yes, being able to say yes to the right thing. Say that again. Saying no to good things means being able to say yes to the right thing. And friends, that's exactly what it is when it comes to choosing Sabbath. Because Sabbath is hard. It takes intention, it takes planning, it takes sacrifice. We don't like hearing that in our world, but it does. Sabbath takes work and it will cost you something. It'll take saying no to a bunch of really good things, but you actually receive the best thing. More of God's presence, more of his rest, more of his rhythms of grace. The scholar Walter Brueggemann says, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. I'm starting to. My life's still full, but it's slower. It's more intentional. I'm able to be more present with people. I'm learning how to be more gentle and more graceful. I feel more at peace and I definitely feel less anxious. I'm learning to be a better listener. I know joy more than I ever had before. And I am more content, even with everything changing and being uprooted than I thought my life was gonna look like. I am more content now than I could ever have imagined. Still very much in process. Ask anybody who knows me well, still very much in process. But so, so different from where I was before. John Mark Comer says Sabbath is more than just a day. It's actually a way of being in the world. It's a spirit of restfulness that comes from abiding, from living in the Father's loving presence all week long. So friends, why choose Sabbath? Why choose Sabbath? For you, it probably won't look like driving to Queensland for two months to live with some people that you didn't know, partly because you already live here, partly because that was my invitation to obedience and to rest. Yours will look different. But choose Sabbath, whether it's a sabbatical and a a grand adventure or whether it's 24 hours once a week, whether it's four hours once a week, a scheduled block of time, start where you can. Choose Sabbath because Jesus says to us in Mark 2.27 that Sabbath was made for man. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God's gift to us is rest, is one 24-hour period every week where all we have to do is rest and worship 
and get to know him better. That's why choose Sabbath. In a world of hurry, of busy, of endless distraction and infinite desires that we can never ever seem to satisfy by just chasing more. Sabbath is God's gift to mankind. A gift of rest for our souls. A gift to you. Rest for your soul. Not just one day. But all week long. All life long. And for those of us who are in Christ all eternity long. And so friends, I, I want to remind you that you can receive this gift of rest for your soul when you receive Jesus. When you receive Him as your Lord and your Saviour and your King and your Shepherd and your friend. And tonight, whether that will be for the first time ever, or whether tonight is the night that you decide again to let Him be most beautiful, most precious, worth more, and you're willing to place your other desires underneath Him. Because we receive Jesus as our rest with the gift of salvation by believing with our heart and confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. A gift of God by grace through faith, nothing we can do to earn or to take it away. It's a gift to anyone who believes. And even though we've spent our time tonight exploring what Sabbath is and what it means and what it might look like, I also wanna remind you that keeping Sabbath does not make you more saved. And not keeping Sabbath doesn't remove salvation from you. It's a gift to help us enjoy life and enjoy God. By choosing to practice Sabbath, by choosing to schedule in a day just for rest and worship, a day of resistance to a world that is constantly screaming out more. Choosing to practice Sabbath postures us to get more of God Himself to quieten our restless hearts, to quieten all the infinite desires in a finite us and to find our rest in Him. That's why I choose Sabbath. Will you stand with me as we pray? The first prayer that, that I'll lead us through is, is when we call thank you, sorry, please. Really simple, really easy. And it is particularly for those of us who don't yet know Jesus. We'll probably all pray it. All the Christians in the room, we need to be reminded of this stuff too. So we'll pray it together out loud. But if this is your first time praying this, then um, Michael and I are gonna be over on the side and we'd love to chat with you and pray with you after this as well. So we just say, Father, we're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for the way that He is perfect. And we're so thankful that He is the one that gives us rest. God, I'm sorry for the ways that I find rest in other places. I'm sorry for the desires that I've placed above you. sorry for trying to be content in and of myself. Please come and be my best. 
please come teach me what it is to rest. Father, we thank you for your gift to us. We thank you that Sabbath is not something that is um, essential for salvation, but it is just such a blessing and such a gift. And we are sorry for the ways that we squander that, but we are so convinced that we can do it for ourselves, that if we just put in another lot of work, another few hours, another day, that somehow we'll make it on our own. So we receive your rest tonight. We receive your gift of rest. We receive it freely because of what Jesus has finished on the cross. Come teach us these unforced rhythms of grace, Jesus. Come give us rest for our souls. That we would have something beautiful and precious to offer a world that also needs to know how to fix their restlessness that we would see more people more like Jesus in our families, in our workplaces, in our universities, in our college dorms, in our coffee shops. That your kingdom would come, your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That we would be people who know how to rest, how to love you well, and how to see you as most beautiful.